You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Sunday night, October 4th, the year of our Lord, 2020. We've got enough material, to be honest with you, to do about three shows tonight. So thank you so much for watching. We're wasting no time. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Got a lot of people in the live chat. I expect a lot more to filter in. As the show goes on, it is not a wrap for any college football weekend until we discuss it here. We're going Georgia-Auburn right off the top. I'm going to touch on AM Alabama and a couple of different aspects. Tennessee took care of business, which... We didn't think they'd do to the degree they did, so we're going to give appropriate credit to Tennessee and also briefly, ever so briefly, look ahead to this upcoming week. Texas, Oklahoma, just implosion. We're going to talk about the Big 12 briefly. Also, several other takeaways. I mean, we try and go as in-depth as we can on the Sunday show, but yet we also try to hit as many things as we can on the Sunday show, thus the pace of my voice already. So we've got so much to get to tonight. That plus, I've already tweeted out our best bet, our early best bet, on the Ramen Noodle Express for week five or week six, I guess, is what we're headed into. And we'll re-hit on that. We'll retouch on that before the show's over. So do not miss a show. We've got so much going on every single week. We do not waste time. If we put it on the air, we think it is worth hearing. So, where else would we start? we got to start with Georgia-Auburn. Auburn-Georgia, let's say the visitor's name first, but yet, my goodness. Look, I have so much on this game. I also have a little post-it here. And the post-it comes from Jim in the email inbox about an hour ago. I'm going to read that in just a second. Georgia 27, Auburn 6. Just a true Sarah McLaughlin special, as we used to call it back in my independent days. Those are those animal abuse commercials where there's soft... Sarah McLaughlin music in the background, and you're looking at all these, um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a sad sight, but they're trying to get you to adopt the animals. Well, uh, there was a Sarah McLaughlin special last night in Athens, Georgia, and Auburn was the wounded animal. There's no other way to put it. So we pull no punches here. Uh, there are several different ways we could go on this, but I want you to, before you look at this game, Go back with me to the Thursday show or the Tuesday show. I was trying to make some sense of Arkansas, Georgia. And I was trying to put it in a way where I was asking, would you feel nearly as nervous about Georgia if this happened? So what I came to was I said, let's keep everything about Georgia, Arkansas the same way. You saw from Stetson Bennett what you saw from him. You saw from Dewan Mathis what you saw from him. But let's just say we took the halves and we reversed them. So Stetson Bennett started that Arkansas game, did everything he did, Georgia got up big, and then Dewan Mathis came in and looked terrible. Would you feel a lot better? I thought the answer was yes, you probably would feel a lot better because you would have said, okay, our starter did what our starter should do, and that's who's going to be playing against Auburn, and so we'll be fine. We just need to get Mathis some work down the road. Well, Stetson Bennett started against Auburn, and boy, did the start of this game look a whole lot different than the start of the Arkansas game? Now, it's a funny thing that there's a difference in our core audience, you know, like the folks listening to the show right now or watching the show right now, versus kind of the drive-by Saturday crowd, which is all about, like, snapshots and sound bites, and they don't really watch the whole video, so therefore, half the time they think you predicted something other than what you actually predicted. So I had a lot of people popping in last night 
uh, for some reason thinking I predicted Arkansas or Auburn to win the game, which we did not. We predicted uh, Georgia to win the game. We did think it would be a little bit tighter than it was. But some very obvious things to me in this game last night. So let's just dive into it together. I'm sure that you guys have a lot of opinions on this. I'm just going to tell you what I watched. I sat right over here across the way and I watched it in our studio here. Auburn probably in this game appeared to be more physically outmatched than any big game or game period that I remember watching them in since Gus Malzahn got there. And they've played some good teams. They've played some loaded teams. I don't ever remember it looking like a car wreck every 40 or 45 seconds like it did last night. Kirby Smart handled the quarterback situation exactly as we expected him to. There was a lot of bluster early in the week. Oh my goodness, JT Daniels has been cleared. We did not expect him to be a factor in this game. We did not, for that matter, expect Dewan Mathis to be much of a factor in the game. We expected Stetson Bennett to start, and we listed the reasons why. And I don't really think that that was kind of running circles around anyone else intellectually. I think most people around Georgia understood that's the way it was going to go. So he handled it the way we thought he would. But here's what at least I didn't think we'd see. I did not think we'd see Georgia have an edge at quarterback in this game. And we did. And I'm going to get back to that in just a second because it is a problem. It's a really good thing for Georgia. It is a problem for Auburn that extends far beyond just well, Bo Nix faced a really tough defense last night. This isn't a Georgia thing. Uh, this is an Auburn thing. So I'm going to talk about that in, in greater detail in just a second. This defense is on a different level for Georgia now. This defense is on a different level than one that you've seen for Georgia. But I'll be honest, it's still early in the season, so let me hesitate and let me just throw this out there. It may be that you're looking at one of the best defenses in modern college football. That's a mouthful, but the reason I say it is this. I want you to think about a player. And it's not a guy who's a household name. His name is Adam Anderson. Adam Anderson's a former five-star outside linebacker, edge rusher type. And he's not a guy that you would consider a starter. He's not a guy who plays 60 or 65 snaps a game. But he's a perfect representation of what Kirby Smart's built and the defense that they've built there. When you go through the schedule that you're going to go through in the SEC – you got to face a team like this week in Tennessee, which is content to run the ball at like a 90-10 ratio and just pound on you all day. But then you're also going to face a team like Alabama or like Florida who could slice you up through the air and you got to be able to affect the quarterback. And the point is, uh, most teams have to settle for building their defense in one kind of way. Georgia has built their defense where they have so many sub packages and so many personnel options that they're able to defend everything. They're able to put a product on the field defensively where one guy may play 35 snaps one week and you don't even see him the next two weeks. That's the kind of defense they had in Smart's latter years at Alabama, and that's the kind of defense that he's finally built there. They are so versatile. They have so many different weapons, and some of them you don't even know the names of, and it's just there are specialty situations where maybe, well, that's their week to shine. Adam Anderson had, a, I think, the best game he's had at Georgia so far last night. Uh, they are able to morph Power Ranger style. Targeting rules are not good in this game. Targeting rules are not good in this sport right now. They updated them. Uh, it's time to overhaul them again because the spirit of that rule does not allow for the game to be played, in some cases, the way it is supposed to be played. There is no one who's a bigger proponent of player safety than I am. But you had two premier safeties in this game last night, ejected in the first half, who had no business being ejected from the football game. We'll probably talk about that more this week. Um, You know, as much as we talked about the Auburn offensive line, we had an equal focus on the Georgia offensive line, the run game in general, because that was what was so alarming to us is the run game in week one sputtered uh, to the tune of less than three yards per carry, and they shined last night. There was no unit I I saw across college football yesterday that validated themselves. 
better than the Georgia offensive line and the running back stable there. So just the Georgia run game in general. And they didn't have a quarterback back there the likes of you know Joe Burrow, where the defense is constantly worried about him. Everyone knew what Georgia was going to do. And hey, they still couldn't stop it. So I mean, like I said, it was a car crash every 40 seconds. If you go back and watch the replay, I watched... Who was it? It was uh, Brigham Young versus Navy a couple of weeks ago when Navy had not tackled at all in practice. And so BYU faced them. I've never seen domination at the line of scrimmage like that in major college football. And I'm not going to say last night was quite to that degree, but it was rough. It was one of those situations where sometimes you watch a team get an early lead and you say, all right, well, things will balance out. But when they're getting an early lead by just picking you up and then placing you three yards behind where you started, that, that's, you're not fixing that. I mean, what, what was Auburn going to do? They're not fixing that. So for all the heat that we thought Kirby Smart may face if he allowed Auburn to come in there and lose, which he would have, I don't think anyone spent a whole lot of time talking about what it would be like for Gus Malzahn, mainly because I think most people expected a close game either way. And I'll be honest, I was among those people. I got to give it a hat tip to Rusty Menzel. Rusty called 20-6 to six on this game, I believe. 27-6 to six was the final. I talked to him early in the week. He was adamant, man. He was adamant about a few things. I saw he shared his thoughts over on Dogs 24-7 earlier today. Uh, that guy, at least for this week, very prophetic because um, it's almost like he has sources inside the program because everything he said would happen, happened. So for all the heat, like I was saying, that Kirby Smart was going to take and everyone thought this and that, say this out loud with me. Think about this. Think about the fact that Auburn hasn't won in Athens since, uh, as they say, Moses was in short pants, and they still haven't. And I want you to think, if you're not an Auburn fan, just kind of put yourself in their shoes for a second. I want you to start saying this out loud. Um, They have not gotten it done up there, obviously. This was a year where, since it's COVID, uh, you know, you don't have the true home field advantage that you normally would. Also, Georgia is using not their first, second, or third, but a guy who was running fourth string at quarterback as recently as a month and a half ago, and you've got a returning starter in Bo Nix. You have things in front of you. Everything's laid out, and you still go in there, and you just you don't get beat. You get embarrassed. You get dismantled. That's far more demoralizing than going back and forth, back and forth, and Georgia kicks a game-winning field goal. They win 26 to 24 as time expires. If you watched that last night, Even though the opening or closing line for this game was around a touchdown, you got the sense that 10 times out of 10, if they played that game, it ends the same way or maybe even worse for Georgia. And so that takes me back to what I said last night. I don't do a whole lot of the hot take stuff, and I don't even figure what I'm about to say to be a hot take. I just thought it was reality. I did not expect, like I told you, Georgia to have an edge at quarterback, but they did. It's not apples to apples. I know Bo Nix had to face a defense, the likes of which Stetson Bennett didn't have to face, but here's the point. I said last night, I think Stetson Bennett is a better quarterback than Bo Nix is right now. So a lot of people took that to mean, I thought he had better tools than Bo Nix, and a lot of people took it to mean, well, you know, uh, Stetson Bennett doesn't have to play Georgia's defense. I I took all that into consideration. What I'm going to ask you simply is this. I got some names here I wrote down. So our buddies, college football nerds, tweeted this out earlier today, and it was a list of names. And this is a very, very tired point, but we got to keep making it for Auburn. Zeke Pike, Jeremy Johnson, Sean White, now Bo Nix. The next quarterback that this program recruits and develops in-house at a successful rate will be the first under Gus Malzahn. Still haven't done it. So you're watching the game last night. 
and you're watching Bo Nix, and Bo Nix exists within the Auburn offense. Stetson Bennett exists within the Georgia offense. Which guy looked more poised, but also which guy operated with more a sense of himself being a part of an offense, playing a specific role in an offense? In other words, I'm asking you, which one looked like they had an established identity? And the answer is not the guy who's a returning quarterback in an offense that has a lot of carryover. The answer is the dude who they told a month ago they didn't really think they had a spot for a quarterback. I, I don't know if you watched the broadcast last night, but Chris Fowler threw that little tidbit in there. Todd Munkin and company told him, we don't really think you're a quarterback here. And a month later, he's, he's operating just fine. That's an offense. That's what that's called. That's called a system. It's called an offense. They had had it very long at Georgia. It's a new system. And yet they already have it established much better than Auburn did. And if you're going to look at me and you're going to say, oh, well, you know, Auburn's got an offense, but it's just Georgia. You know, no one's going to score much on that defense of Georgia's. You're right. They didn't play Georgia last week, did they? They're not going to play him this week. Why do I get the sneaking suspicion in the back of my mind that they're going to look pretty discombobulated again this Saturday. And we're going to, they're going to play Arkansas. They're favored by 17 points. But yet, why do I get the feeling we're going to come out of this Saturday, just like you did coming out of the Kentucky game, and you're going to say, you know, I still don't really know discernibly what the identity of this team is. That's a big problem. That's a big problem moving forward. So what do you think about Stetson Bennett now? If I was asked that one time, I was asked that 500 times last night. What do I think about Stetson Bennett? And I've come to the conclusion. I I can come to no other conclusion. I simply believe a lot of people either heard through word of mouth what was said on this show last week, and they heard an erroneous version of it, or you just didn't watch the whole show, or you just watched little bits and pieces. Or you would think that I trashed this kid, and I didn't. So let me one more time clearly state, because the answer is my opinion is unchanged. I think the same thing about Stetson Bennett today as I did Thursday afternoon. So I can be very happy for him, and I am. I'm ecstatic for him. It was ultra impressive what he did last night. Poise and accuracy are very important things, and he possessed both of them in his first career start. And that's not a small deal. That's a really big deal, because as down defensively as Auburn may be, they're still a pretty good defense. So don't get me wrong on that. It's a great story. He managed the game excellent. He did everything that they would ask him to do. The point I've made, and I will continue to make, and I think Kirby Smart in his postgame remarks kind of intimated the same thing, is there is going to come a time where you have to score to win. Last night, they were in a situation where they didn't have to. There will come a time where you have to score to win. My only point is, I do not think the ceiling on this team is an SEC championship ceiling with Stetson Bennett being your permanent quarterback. That's the only point I've made. I will continue to believe that. Nothing about last night changed that because you didn't play for an SEC title last night. So you can be in a really good spot now, and yet me still believe that. And I do believe it. And ultimately, and as good as things looked last night, I think Kirby Smart, in not so many words, is suggesting the same thing. Ultimately, JT Daniels is going to be the guy, if Georgia is to win an SEC championship, that does it for this team this year. Stetson Bennett is playing a role right now, and it's as crucial a role to keeping things steady for the time being as JT Daniels will be eventually if and when he takes over. Because if you lost games right now, it wouldn't really matter down the road, would it? So it's, uh, it's really admirable what he did last night. I'm just saying my opinion, it's not like my opinion changed all of a sudden last night. Arkansas at Auburn this Saturday. Auburn opens as about a 16.5 to 17-point favorite. Tennessee at Georgia. Georgia opens. If you hadn't seen the line, guess along with me. What would Georgia be over Tennessee? 14 points. That's the spread. 
And before we move on, because Jim took the time to email me, I want to read this little stat Jim sent me in the uh, email inbox. He said, uh, yeah, a lot of people have been talking about Auburn upsetting us. A lot of people are talking about Florida upsetting us. Let me tell you why we as Georgia fans are not all that concerned. Through 12 games, this is impressive, and I did not go fact check this, so I just trust Jim. Through 12 games, Kirby Smart, as either a head coach or a DC, facing Gus Malzahn as either a coordinator or head coach, Gus Malzahn is averaging 19.8 points per game, and that includes a 44 spot that they hung in 2014. Kirby Smart versus Dan Mullen. They faced each other 14 times. That's like a couple of careers for most people. Dan Mullen, 13 points per game. And that is why Jim says Georgia is not too concerned about either one. Well, obviously they disposed of the first part of that equation. You got Florida coming up down the road a little ways. All right, let's go on. We got to move. We got to move. Uh, Alabama, 52. Texas A&M, 23. Remember when we talked last week and we, we predicted this game, to me this is always one of the easier games in the conference to predict, and yet it's so misleading because it makes you think by that tone in my voice that A&M's just, oh, they just got a terrible roster. You can run all over them. They don't. They got a top 10 roster. In fact, maybe, maybe more lofty than that, but they, they're so limited in what they're capable of because of a number of things we're about to get into. So I don't think there was any chance this game was going to end any other way than what it did. 52 to 24 is the final. I guess if there's one small thing, if I go back and look at what we thought, you know, a projected final score may be, I'd shave about 10 points off of each team. We thought somewhere in the 41 to 13 or 14 range. Uh, But as it stands, Alabama could have scored uh, forever if they wanted to. Look at these. Ugh. Sick. All right, let's get into this. If you're listening on the podcast, this means nothing to you. We're watching footage of the game. So I want to reiterate something here before I dive into this. We discuss Alabama differently on this show. It is boring or should be boring for everyone if we just sit here and tell you how great they are. So let me get that out of the way. They're great. They're, they may, we probably have them rated as the number one team in the country right now. It, they're splitting hairs right now with what they've done and Clemson's done and what we think Ohio State will do. So anyway, they're one of the very best teams in the country. So it's a waste of time to just talk about how great they are. So what we do is we raise the standard significantly when we talk about these great teams on this show. It sounds like we're being pessimist, but we're not. We're just getting the boring stuff out of the way, the same old cliched stuff everyone says. We really pick these teams apart. And we pick them apart at a higher degree than we pick apart teams that are just ranked 13th in the country. So, quick accolades. Mac Jones, excellent game yesterday. Mac Jones, I think you can make a solid argument, is the second best quarterback that Nick Saban has had at Alabama behind uh, Tua Tagovailoa. And that includes Jalen Hurts. I think that Mac Jones gives them a different dynamic and a different element and a better ability to take advantage of the plethora still of talent at wide receiver that they have than Jalen Hurts did. Pause for a second. Do you understand what I just said? They lost Jerry Judy to the NFL draft, Henry Ruggs to the NFL draft, and Tua Tagovailoa. Those are three generational type talents that they lost for a program at one time to the draft. Did you watch them yesterday? If I could have pixelated the receivers and the quarterback to where you couldn't tell who they are, it would have looked no different. How thorough a machine of a program do you have to be? Okay, so you see why that's boring? Because everyone says that about Alabama. Okay, so we got the praise out of the way. John Mechie emerging as a wide receiver. He was probably ready last year, and they were just so loaded you didn't know about him. From Canada, by the way, which is what I've... Colin, 
have I not always said the key to Alabama winning another title is they got to recruit Canada better. So they are. So John Metchie looks good now. Malachi Moore, true freshman, doesn't matter. Told you about him in the preseason. He's shining. They got another true freshman behind him and Brian Branch, who um, I wouldn't be shocked to see taking some reps at safety down the road. A little cross-training maybe, you know, some missed tackles, some blown assignments here or there. A lot of competition in that Alabama secondary. So those things are out of the way. Let me tell you a couple of things that are dangerous for Alabama. Certainly not yesterday, but let me tell you a few things that may be dangerous down the road. Um, Sometimes I've noticed people have the tendency to watch these performances like the one Alabama had yesterday where they score half a hundred on a really good team. And they think, okay, well, we have better teams coming up. We know we're going to play Georgia, for example, in a couple of weeks. But that's okay, even though they're good defensively, because here's what your mind tells you. Your mind tells you, well, if we scored 52 on AM, I mean, certainly we'll be able to score at least, oh, 31 or 35. So, you know, let's shave 30 or 40% of our production off. We'll still be fine. That's not the way this sport works if you're heavily dependent on one facet of your game. To give you an extreme example of that, did you notice the difference yesterday in Mississippi State? versus week one Mississippi State. Alabama is certainly not Mississippi State, but I'm giving you in principle the theory that I'm offering here. But you have to play someone who meets what I've always called the freeze point. A&M doesn't meet the freeze point, and that's why Alabama just ran up and down the field like it was a track meet on him yesterday and could have continued to do it as long as they want to. Think about this. That roster for A&M is not far away from Alabama's. And what I mean by that is Alabama is decidedly better. But the gap is not to the degree that they make it look. But the problem is A&M doesn't meet the freeze point. The freeze point is if you take a, a few cups of water, okay, and I put them in controlled environments. One of the environments is 26 degrees. One of them is 29 degrees. What's going to happen to the cups of water? They're both going to freeze. The one in the 26-degree setting, it'll freeze a little bit quicker, but they're both going to freeze, right? What is the gap there? Three degrees difference? But now think about this. If I put one in 31-degree conditions and another one in 33-degree conditions, smaller gap, only a two-degree gap, but the one in the 31-degree condition is going to freeze. The one in the 33-degree condition could sit there until the end of time, and it's going to be just as liquefied in a 1,000 years as it is right now. Why is that? Well, there's this little fresh, there's this little threshold at 32 degrees. It's pretty important. It's called the freezing point. And if you're above the freezing point, it doesn't matter. The freezing point, as it pertains to college football, is if you don't have a certain level of disruptive ability in your defensive front or cover ability on the back end, it doesn't matter how talented the rest of your roster is. So you got to meet a certain threshold, what I call the freeze point, against a team like Alabama, or they'll just dissect you. But here's what can happen. Alabama was very subpar running the ball yesterday, so they were totally dependent on explosive plays. And so they rack up 52 points through explosive plays, and you watch it, and you just assume it's going to be there forever. What happens when you play a team that hits that freeze point? you got one coming up in two weeks. I can assure you, the Georgia Bulldogs meet the freeze point. So a Vegas odds maker may tell you, oh, you know, the best safety in college football is only worth about two points. The best corner in college football, two points, maybe two and a half points in an extreme example. You say, okay, well, let's just shave four or five points off of 52. What does that get us? We're still scoring in the upper 40s. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. What happens is all of a sudden all those streaks and go routes and uh, in and ups that you saw, Alabama just break free on that secondary. What if instead of a 75-yard touchdown, 
It's incomplete. It's second and 10. Do you know how big a difference that is? Just one of those plays. You know how big a difference that is? What if that happens to you just two or three times? How do you know the value of playing a team with a few more players in the secondary that meets the freeze point is my question. You don't. But what I can tell you is if you don't fix that running game, and they will start working on it in earnest this week, if they don't balance out, and balancing may mean scoring a few less points, but if they don't balance out, just like I'm talking about with Georgia, there's going to come a time this year where all of a sudden they try and lean on that explosive play, and it's not there. And you don't have the threat of mobility at quarterback to bail you out either. So there's no excuse why Alabama can't run the ball at a very high level. They got the offensive linemen. All of them are going to play in the NFL. They got the running backs. A lot of them are going to play in the NFL. No excuse why they can't. They better get it fixed before they play someone who meets the freeze point in that secondary. Now, as for A&M, kind of saw who they were. I mean, it's, it's, it's the same thing every year, and it feels like it will be. Um, I've, I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The gap looks so big between A&M and, and these teams like Clemson when they played them last year, when they play Alabama. I'm trying to tell you, and people don't believe this, I guess, for obvious reasons. The gap is not that wide, guys. The gap is wide at one or two places. If I could take you to one of these games, and I could take you down on the field with me, and you could just watch Texas A&M get off a bus, if you could watch them warm up, if you could stand five feet away from their offensive linemen or their linebackers, they are massive. They are a huge team. They're so physically impressive. They look just like Clemson. They look just like Alabama. What that means is nothing when the game starts. But what I'm trying to tell you is they're not badly out-athleted like you think they are. They're just a couple of places where they are so deficient relative to the elites, quarterback being one of them, and I would argue offensive system in general being another one, that it makes the gap look insurmountable. It looks like there's a Grand Canyon, when in reality, it's like a creek, but then at one or two very important parts of your team, it's a Grand Canyon, which is what makes Nick Saban so impressive before I move on here. Think about the difference between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. Nick Saban was at the very height of the best dynasty in the history of this sport in all likelihood. He was number one or number 1A, and that's the altitude he and Alabama have cruised at. And he was right in the middle of that run, and he hit the reset button. They didn't have this huge failure of a season. He hit the reset button. Around 2014, he realized, we got to change offensively. Uh, What? So he's number one, and then they change everything which no one ever does. You normally have to fail before people say, all right, well, we got to change everything. Nick Saban's on top, and he says, you know what? I think I'll just remake my program entirely. And now, today, they're a better version of Oklahoma than Oklahoma's ever been. When you watch how thoroughly they dismantle people. And so, what's the difference between he and Jimbo Fisher? Nick Saban was number one and chose to change everything. Jimbo Fisher was number one at one time in 2013 and chose to put roots down. And nothing has changed since then about Jimbo Fisher. Nothing has changed about his offense because he figured, I've arrived. It's obvious I've figured it out. This will work now. It'll work forever. And that's not the way sport works. That's not the way any sport works, much less this sport. So I know a lot of you yesterday and and this morning, a lot of you are saying, $75 million? we, We should be getting so much more than this for $75 million. I don't care if you pay him $75 billion. An increase in salary does not guarantee an increase in production. I, like, if, if, I, if Colin is making $750 an hour over here, and all of a sudden I put him in charge of A&M and I pay him $100 million, am I going to get mad at Colin when all of a sudden they're not winning national titles? No, Colin's, 
Colin's never done that before. Why would I expect him to do it now? Just because I put more money in his lap, I should be more mad at the mirror than I should be at Colin. So Jimbo Fisher's won a national title before, but the point is Jimbo's doing it the exact same way he's always done it. It's just his way doesn't work anymore, at least against the elite teams. They'll win 80% of their games, 75-80% of their games, but you're mad because you're paying top dollar. You want top dollar results. Don't be mad at the dude for doing exactly what he's always done. Be mad at yourself because you just had a lot of money, so you decided to throw it at him. That's my, that's my only takeaway from Jimbo Fisher. Tennessee made us look bad. Boy, but I was not, uh, I was not all that sad to see it happen. So we thought that Missouri would give Tennessee a really big fight yesterday, and none of that ever materialized. Some games, when you pick them, maybe just straight up or against the spread, sometimes you watch it, and you know, you're like minus four turnovers, and there's just some sloppy play, but, but all in all, you watch and you say, you know what, I'd make the same pick today. If these teams played again, I'd make the same pick. Well, that was not the case yesterday. Uh, Tennessee thoroughly dismantled Missouri, and it was about mm, five or six minutes into the game, I realized, oh boy, well, we're in for a long afternoon here. We love Missouri, plus 10 and a half, and uh, I don't love it so much, looking back on it. Uh, but just remember why, because I want to talk about how impressive this was. The reason why we love Missouri so much, part of it was situational. Tennessee, uh, still a team that's very much coalescing and gelling. They were coming off an emotional last-minute win at South Carolina. They got a huge one on deck against Georgia. Just figured, I mean, they'd be happy to get out of here with a win by any means necessary. I really thought it would be one of those dogfight, got to scrap it out into the very end kind of games. I also thought that Missouri was plenty good enough at safety to where there weren't going to be very many explosive plays, so Tennessee was going to have to dink and dunk their way down the field. Uh, they were going to have to run the ball steadily, and it was going to be a bunch of 10 to 15 play drives. And so that normally doesn't make for a blowout game, is what I'm saying. Well, Tennessee absolutely did that, and it did make for a blowout game. They owned it. And they also showed plenty of room for improvement, which is what gives you confidence if you're a Tennessee fan. Uh, defensive front consistency, I'm sure they want to see get better. They get Bryce Thompson back in a more full role this week. He was, I think they played him on like third downs and dime personnel situations this past week, but that's one of, if not the best players they have in their secondary. And secondary gave up some explosive plays yesterday, so a lot of room for improvement. But I did want to mention, by the way, Kenneth George played a lot in Thompson's absence. I don't know if you guys know this. Tennessee fans probably do. Kenneth George, who is playing football for the University of Tennessee right now, like meaningful downs, he didn't play high school football. Kenneth George flat out didn't play high school football. Think about how insanely talented you have to be to play in the SEC if you did play peewee, middle school, and high school football. Kenneth George just said, football, college football, I guess. I'll give it a try. And now he's playing. And, and playing at a pretty good level, too. So, He's not a charity case. So uh, Jeremy Pruitt made a point to point that out after the game yesterday, so I wanted to point it out here. we got to stop moving the goalposts. Not, not literally. That would be cheating. But figuratively, a lot of people keep moving the goalposts on teams like Tennessee. I get so tired of it. So like Florida plays Ole Miss in week one. Florida exceeds expectation in week one. I praise Florida. All I got in return was, well, it was just Ole Miss. Like I didn't know who they played. So sure enough, it happens here. Tennessee plays Missouri, I thought they handled in a very mature manner a lot of situational dynamics that have taken down a lot of teams before and will afterwards, and they handled them pretty flawlessly, and I was impressed by it. They were so dominant along the lines of scrimmage. They were so efficient offensively that running backs, both of those guys, Chandler and Gray, looked very good. That's what you need to see from them every week. 
Uh, they have asked that team to be the most physical offense in the SEC. They look every bit the part. So my point is they took care of business. They did what they were supposed to. I don't take it for granted when teams do what they're supposed to because how many of them do we see every week not do what they're supposed to? But lo and behold, as sure as you pointed out, all you get is, well, it's Missouri. Yeah, I know who it was. But you're saying that in retrospect like you expected a blowout ahead of time. And I would ask you if you did, screenshot your bet slip. Show me the paycheck that you bet on Tennessee since you were so sure of it. I don't think you did. It's just easy to say that after the fact. It was, well, here, you know, here's what we can do. We can go back and tell LSU in week one, oh, it was Mississippi State. They didn't say that because they got their tail kicked. Do you know yesterday, th- does Oklahoma know it was just Iowa State? Do they know that? I, I, don't, I, don't, think they, I don't think they know that. Um, you know, for, for that matter, does Mississippi State know that it was just Arkansas? It's just Arkansas you played yesterday. Anyone saying that? No, because they didn't take care of business. Don't care how big a favorite they were. So Tennessee did. So I give credit where it's due. Remember... Just to reiterate, as we enter Tennessee-Georgia week, remember what we said. The big ask for Tennessee was. That coaching staff, I think, has asked them to do something that most teams aren't capable of. And that is, we do not have a bona fide All-American quarterback. We, We don't have this depth at receiver that the likes of Alabama do. But what we do have is we've got an incredible offensive line. they got four former five-star players on that offensive line. You may look and think they have roster deficits elsewhere. This offensive line is premier. It is every bit what you would expect to exist at Alabama or Georgia, for that matter, since they're playing Georgia this week. Every bit. That offensive line is capable of putting on every bit the performance, physically, that Georgia did last night against Auburn. In fact, they did yesterday. It was just in a lesser profile game. Those teams play this week. And I want to leave you with this. Everyone is still in this mood to talk about how big a roster disadvantage Tennessee has. Just to give you a little comparative analysis, Georgia played Auburn yesterday. Georgia plays Tennessee this week. What you would think is Auburn decidedly better roster than Tennessee. That's what you think. I looked at the 24-7 Sports team talent composite, which is essentially just a rating of how much raw talent you have on your roster using former recruiting rankings. Auburn's number 13 in the country right now. Where do you think Tennessee is? 25th, 30th, 35th? Auburn's 13th, Tennessee is 14th. Those are pretty identical rosters at this point. Already pretty identical rosters. So at that point, you got to ask who's doing a better job of developing, who has a better game plan, who looks like they have their act together. That's rhetorical. I'll let you answer that. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Let's move on, Colin. Let's take a very, very brief stroll, because that's all that it deserves time to be given out west. Just a hair. The Big 12 is so average right now. It hurts, but it's so average right now. It was a big... Now, let me... As much as it's average, it was a big night for myself, and it was a big night for myself and Cyclone Nation. And if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see it, but I'm holding up one of, I want to say, seven Iowa State shirts... Look at how pretty those colors are. They just pop that I was sent in the mail the other day. And a lot of you always try and figure out what team I root for. And uh, like 30% of you think Georgia and 28% of you think Auburn and Tennessee and Alabama. And the thing about it is you don't have to guess. I'm sitting here. I'm holding up a T-shirt right now. Well, that's backwards. There it is. That's who I was pulling for yesterday, Iowa State. You don't have to guess. I'll tell you. Your piece came out. 
So uh, we, hashtag we in all caps, beat Oklahoma yesterday, 37 to 30. TCU over Texas, 33 to 31. I was just talking about the team talent composite rating. Let me go back to that for just a second. Do you understand how loaded Texas is from a roster standpoint? This is, oh boy, it's inexplicable. Texas is number five in America in the team talent composite rating right now. And they just lost their sixth out of seven against Gary Patterson and TCU, who sit at 28 comparatively in that team talent composite rating. Just shockingly bad, shockingly bad, consistently, considering how loaded their roster is. I ran a poll yesterday, which I don't normally do, but Twitter has the function, so I said, hey, why not? Now, um, this poll, probably not scientific, I'll grant you that, and it was right after Texas had lost, but I put a poll up. Pretend you're a Texas fan, or just pretend you're a neutral observer. Here's what the poll said. The poll was, all right, let's say I tell you you get to run Texas for the next decade. I'm going to give you two options for who your head coach can be. And you get to choose whichever one you want right now, but the only caveat is, and the only condition that I put in there was, whoever you pick, you have to keep them for at least the next six years. Option number one is Tom Herman, current head coach at Texas. Option number two was Lane Kiffin. This was before Ole Miss won last night, by the way. What do you think the totals were there? The totals were 83% Mr. Kiffin, 17% Tom Herman. Over four out of five of you, and I got a lot of Texas followers, by the way. I think a lot of them went Kiffin. So four out of five of you said, give me Kiffin in Austin. Wow. So they win in miracle fashion two weeks ago in Texas Tech, and you figure, okay, that's the reprieve we need if we're Texas. So now we'll get it right, and we'll look back on that game, and that's where everything turned. Nope. Same comedy of errors, same litany of penalties, same miscues, same everything. They had double-digit penalties again in this game versus TCU. Situational awareness was beyond horrible. So you know what happened. I don't need to go down that road. Oklahoma, uh, you know, I wasn't nearly surprised at Oklahoma losing at Iowa State because we didn't even pick them to go to the Big 12 title game. There are obvious deficiencies on this Oklahoma team. So we don't even think they're one of the two best teams in the Big 12. We don't think they're ultimately going to make it to the Big 12 title game. First loss in Ames, Iowa, to my Cyclones, since 1960. Glaring holes in several spots on this team. I don't think they're done losing. Their quarterback, Spencer Rattler, has a rocket for an arm, and everything else about their offense is very green. Uh, Defensively, totally lacking of an identity. I had high hopes for Alex Grinch, and listen, maybe they still fulfill all that, but you could be the best coordinator in America right now. I just don't think they have the pieces in the cupboard. I think that's pretty obvious. So I told you, as, as a Sooner fan, if you're a Sooner fan last week, I said you got every reason to be irate because the sport is tilted in your favor. This is not the NFL. You shouldn't have two- and three-year rebuilding phases. You should dominate every year or be no more than one year away from dominating, and that's not where they are right now. Oh, ironically, these teams play each other this week. The Red River Shootout, as we still call it here, opens with Oklahoma as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. If you want to be brave enough out there to gamble money on this game, I'm not going to be there with you. But if you do bet on this game, if you think you have an angle, all I want you to do is tell me what it is. Because anyone out there who thinks they have a discernible angle on how this thing plays out, more than what a coin would tell you, just a coin flip, I want you to send it to me. Because I don't think for the life of me there's any skill in betting this game. 
I, I don't. I, I have no idea what kind of angle you could have with so many turnovers that are likely to happen, penalties, all sorts of garbage that happens in a football game, but makes it very unpredictable. I don't know what kind of angle you could have. So Texas, Oklahoma Saturday. Let's have at it. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State just kind of cruising along, undefeated. Iowa State undefeated in conference play. Louisiana uh, last check, not in the Big Twelve. All right, we got several other takeaways. So let's just go all around the country here. Florida, 38. South Carolina, 24. South Carolina, oh boy, 6 for 17 on third down. They were 5 of 6 on fourth down, though, yesterday. 83 plays South Carolina ran. Now, that doesn't matter. They don't give you points for plays, but it's going to matter in just a second for something I'm about to tell you. Florida ran 53 of them, largely made the most out of them. For South Carolina, it was really good. There's been a lot of talk. Marshawn Lloyd out for the season at running back. Who's going to fill the void? Well, Kevin Harris, Admirable performance yesterday, 22 runs for 100 yards. So they still have a ways to go. There's too many holes to really count on the South Carolina team. But Florida's got a big one this week. Florida goes to Texas A&M. Texas A&M is in what we like to call wounded animal mode. A&M season, for all intents and purposes, is already on the line. If they want to have a hope of contending in the West or doing anything, you know, being one of those teams who vultures a playoff spot out of the eventual mess that ends up at the end of the season. They got to win out probably, but they definitely have to win Saturday. Florida ran 83 plays in this game. Florida ran 83 plays. And also if you watch them, that, that depth situation, a little bit concerning in the secondary, their inability to get disruption and put pressure on a quarterback up front also concerning because that keeps you on the field. And listen, as bad as that final score for A&M and Alabama looks, I don't think Kellen Mond played half bad against Alabama. He didn't get any help. Their best receiver is their running back right now. But, you know, I, two things I think. I think Florida can score easily against that secondary of A&M. I also think A&M can do a little work against Florida. Because if South Carolina can, I can tell you A&M can. Arkansas 21, Mississippi State 14 in the year of our Lord, 2020. Does anyone remember... How long ago was it, Colin? Four years or six years ago? No, 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 no. Actually, it was last week. It was seven days ago. When everyone was talking about the air raid takeover, your words, not mine, of the SEC. Well, I don't know if it's still happening. I haven't gotten the latest notification. It's at least on pause for one week. So we told you that as, as congratulatory as you wanted to be towards Mississippi State, and you should have been in week one, they, they went on the road and they beat uh, the LSU Tigers. and that, That's all great. What did we tell you about the outcome? We did not view it as having any value as it relates to what the future holds. We took it, and when it comes to valuing it for future projection, we wadded it up and we threw it in the trash can because there were so many unique factors to that game that will never exist in any other game Mississippi State plays. A lot of you got mad. A lot of you said I was just trying to rain on their parade. No, I wasn't. I was happy with the parade. After the parade was over, I just wanted to pull you to the side and say, uh, now, if you wonder why I'm not quite on board with you on this float here, this is why. And we gave you the old crowbar analogy. The crowbar, when it comes to a Mike Leach offense, is you don't slow it down. It doesn't go from scoring uh, 44 to just scoring 33. That's not how it happens. You're either scoring 44, 45 points, or you're scoring like 10 to 14. Because someone takes the crowbar, and they get it in the bicycle spokes, and Arkansas got the crowbar in the bicycle spokes yesterday. They did this funny thing. It's this new concept. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard about it, but it's this new defensive thing that some coordinators have figured out. And they call it um, zone defense is what they call it, zone, Z-O-N-E. 
And what you do apparently is you just go to a predetermined spot and sit there. It's crazy. I don't know if Bo Pelini's heard about it, but I can tell you Barry Odom and the guys at Arkansas took a fraction of the talent that LSU has on its roster, even after being gutted by opt-outs in the draft, and said, oh, we're, we're cool. We'll handle it here. How many plays per te- or, uh, pray tell did, did Mississippi State run yesterday to score those 14 points? 84. All they did, Arkansas being they, is sit in an umbrella all night and said, Take it. Take the underneath stuff all night. Do whatever you want to. You are not going over the top of us, and then we're just going to crunch you once you get down in here, and you're not going to kick a field goal, so we'll win. We'll win that way, and they did. 84 plays to score 14 points. Efficiency, it is not. Arkansas defensive back, by the way, I forgot who it was, but there was an Arkansas defensive back after this game who was asked, essentially, how did you do what LSU couldn't do? And he said, well, you know, really, it wasn't all that hard because we kind of knew what was coming. What show was it last week? And I don't take credit for this because, listen, Jimmy Lake, now the head coach at Washington, he's been out on the West Coast just openly saying this, not anonymously. He's just openly been saying for years, they're not that hard to defend. We know what's coming every week. Like every year we play them, we dominate them. And so someone popped on some Washington tape during the week and said, well, we could do that. Even, Even we can do that. And they did it. So the air raid takeover on hold for at least one week as is Central Florida's entry into the college football playoff. Because as as much as they may be the best team in Florida, they were the second best team in Orlando last night. I've been waiting 24 hours to say it. Tulsa, 34. Central Florida, 26. A 21-game home win streak snapped just like that. Anyone, anyone in the room, last home loss for Central Florida was 2016. And it was Tulsa. 18 penalties in this game, by the way. 18. That's rough. That's a bad month for some teams. 18 penalties for Central Florida. Playoff shot, probably done. However, to his credit, he is nothing if not consistent. Quarterback Dylan Gabriel after the game, I don't know what the context was. I don't know who asked him. I just heard the soundbite. He confirmed they still are the best team in the state of Florida. We'll just let that be your little secret, Dylan. Moving on. Oklahoma State, so quietly, so quietly, Mike Gundy, putting on, of all things, defensive clinics in the uh, Big 12 now. 47-7, a win over Kansas. This is not a game we're going to spend more than 45 seconds on. However, I do want to just frame this up a little bit. A lot of people punted on the old Cowboys after their week one struggle win against Tulsa. Well, that Tulsa team just took care of Central Florida. So it's funny how we recontextualize things once we get a little more perspective and we move further into the season. Everyone's week one narratives are shaped on a perception that you built out of thin air in preview magazines. And sometimes we learn our preconceived notions about teams were wrong. So you thought Tulsa was trash. Therefore, since they struggled with them, they must be trash. You know, transitive trash. Well, now... We see Oklahoma State still with a goose egg in the loss column, looking like the best team in the Big 12 right now, and they don't play a high-profile opponent this week. They have a bye, and then they go to Baylor, Iowa State, Texas, at Kansas State. What's going to happen in the Big 12? Anyone's guess. A lot of average football out there, and to be honest with you, I have no clue what the ceiling is for that Oklahoma State team, but we did predict them to at least be in the Big 12 championship game. Uh, We have a very, very important announcement to make here. Well, the first one is we're begging you to subscribe to the channel. So that's not really an announcement. That's just a plea. Do it. It's free. We had a great week last week. We hope to duplicate that this week. 
We earlier today on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh, if you haven't already followed me, please do so. A lot of you have. Thank you for that. Having a lot of fun going back and forth with about 94% of you. The other 6%, you guys have some work to do. You guys, you need to do some soul searching. And I don't care. I'll, I'll still open those DMs. But, you know, I had someone last night reach out because we went, we went one in four on our plays yesterday. So we're back to 500. Regrettably. Don't worry. We're undeterred. Had someone reach out last night and say, hey, man, I can help you. In fact, here's one for free. Take Oklahoma minus seven and a half, put 10 units on it. I uh, haven't heard from that person today. Internet troubles? Maybe. I don't know. But we've already got our early best bet for week six, and it is Florida International minus four and a half. In fact, there it is. Colin rolls out the Ramen Noodle Express graphic. We're taking Florida International. Now, if you'll recall, we've already taken them once. This is a team we feel like we just have a pretty good read on. They are playing Middle Tennessee State. We grabbed this as soon as it opened. That's why it's important to follow me on Twitter. Because by the time we came on the air tonight, this was already five and a half or six at some places. So we got it at four and a half. Uh, We have them winning by well over a touchdown. So we crossed several key numbers here in getting this number early. FIU minus four and a half. Remember to follow me because I tweeted, I think, three of our six out last week, including one on Saturday morning. Obviously, that came after the last show of the week. So it's not always a guarantee that I'm just releasing them on the show. You'll find them on the show, but sometimes I put them on the podcast or I release them on Twitter, so make sure you follow me on there. Uh, Just some other notable lines before we get out of here. For those of you who have watched the NFL today and so you hadn't really checked out the opening college football numbers, Alabama's a 24-point favorite at Ole Miss. I don't know if you agree with me, but if I were an Alabama fan, I don't know why. Ole Miss would make me more nervous than Texas A&M. And also, I want to pause. Colin and I were talking about this in the break room. Um, Do you understand how big a knife fight the SEC is this year? Do you understand how hard it is to navigate your way through this league this year? I want you to think about something. You know how some people say Big 12 offenses, and there's just this, this monolith out there where everyone runs a version of the same thing? Could anyone tell me what an SEC offense is? Because let me tell you what Alabama's about to have to do. They're going to go to Oxford, Mississippi Saturday, and they're going to face Lane Kiffin, who may throw the ball 95 times. They have Georgia seven days later, and then Tennessee seven days after that. You want to know why they hire an army of analysts? You know why Nick Saban has like Mike Stoops and Butch Jones and Charlie Strong? He's got Steve Sarkeesian. He's got all these former head coaches just kind of tucked away in cubby holes. That's why. Because you got to prepare for that. Seven days gap between playing Ole Miss and then playing Georgia. So anyway, uh, Bama's got a 24-point edge, or at least that's what they're favored by against Ole Miss. Tennessee at Georgia, as we said, the Bulldogs open at 14. We're previewing that game in long form Tuesday night. Make sure you're here for that. Miami plays Clemson this week. Clemson did not look nearly as impressive as a lot of you expected them to against Virginia last night, by the way. Uh, That's probably their one semi-struggle game per year. It's like clockwork. Clemson opens as a 15-point favorite against Miami at home. Texas OU, we told you Oklahoma is a two-and-a-half-point favorite there. Good luck picking that. And this one's really interesting. I got to do some more deep diving on this one. We're going to break this one down in long form Tuesday night too. Florida at Texas A&M. If you have not looked at this point spread yet, what would you guess? Florida at Texas A&M. We are giving, I think the standard right now is about one and a half points for home field advantage. So Florida is favored by six points. I think it's floated between five and six at Texas A&M. Now just think about this for a second. 
Think about the fact that Florida has struggled getting pressure on quarterbacks. Uh, they've. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not highlighting my pick here yet. I haven't even taken a dive into the game yet. But I, I just. Um, I wonder about that one because at first glance, I thought Florida, and I may still land Florida. I'm talking about laying the points. I think there's some things to like matchup wise for A&M. Just a little. There are some glaring matchup advantages for Florida too, though. So uh, we will break all those down Tuesday night. Tuesday night is our. Um, preview special. And then we do a lot more predictions on Thursday, but we uh, like to get ahead of the crowd by about 24 hours. So we'll do all that Tuesday. Remember, if you're here and you haven't already, subscribe to the channel, click the bell for notifications. And I see a lot of you, I see some people in the live chat right now who saw what I put on Twitter last night. I mean what I said. And what I said last night, which was controversial, but it shouldn't have been, is Tennessee, Georgia is going to be everything that you wanted Auburn, Georgia to be. Some people took that to me and I'm predicting Tennessee to beat Georgia. That's not what that is. What it is is you expected Georgia-Auburn to be a two-way bloodbath. And in a way, it was just a one-way bloodbath. Well, this will be more a two-way bloodbath because you got a lot more evenly matched teams along the lines of scrimmage. A lot of people are going to look in, in, in totality at Tennessee and say they don't have the roster that Georgia has. They don't. You're right. This isn't a roster versus roster deals, matchups, styles make fights, you know that whole cliche. So look at it. You know, Tennessee, for instance, may have some vulnerabilities in the secondary. Are they playing a team Saturday that's built to expose her? Will Georgia even have to throw the ball? They sure didn't last night. Can Tennessee stand up against that offensive line a lot better than Auburn did? I think so. To what degree will determine how close that game is? The other question, as I leave you here, because this is not the preview show, if I were to tell you that Jarrett Garantano is going to play a largely mistake-free game, which I think is a big stretch, with how contested Georgia makes everything defensively, I think it's a big stretch to guess that, much less assume it. But if I were to tell you in closing, Tennessee is going to be equal or plus in the turnover column, would that change anything? I think it's fair to expect Tennessee to be minus in the turnover battle. So just some things to marinate on as we enter a big-time week in college football and in the SEC. In general, we finally get to preview an ACC game coming up this week that involves Clemson. So that'll be fun. It's only a couple times a year that ha- that happens. Got a lot of live viewers tonight. Thank you so much. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Late Kick podcast. Give a five-star review while you're there and submit some questions for this week's podcast because it's all Q&A on Tuesday and Thursday at Late Kick Josh on Twitter, joshpate706 at gmail.com. And with that, we're out of here. I told you we'd get it in under an hour. For Director Colin, for Jordan on the podcast side of things, I'm Josh Pate. Take care. Have a great start to your week, and God bless.